welcome to another edition of the Beer Ivana podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> so, uh, as we continue... <laughs> the new technology surprises you. Yeah, the, the, the constant technical innovation here. This yes. is the... We, have our two mics again, but this time I have earphones, which Jeff, are, Jeff is actually listening to what we're what we're saying this time. Which it sounds is new for him. It's like in vivid living color. I startled myself. Yeah. Uh, so, if I wanted to turn this down for to my earphones, how would I do that? Uh, you wouldn't. Okay. Let's carrying on. <laughs> <laughs> That's technology that hasn't yet reached. Our shores. All right, I'll just get used to it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, welcome to the Beer Runner Podcast. With me, of course, as always, is Jeff Allworth, author of the Beer Bible from Workman Publishing and Cider Made Simple from Chronicle Books. Uh, you can order them at pals.com. You can find them at your local bookstore. You can order them at Amazon. You can also find them, of course, blogging at uh, Beer Vana and at All About Beer. And with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, as well as research fellow. Uh, at C Micro in Sao Paulo, and uh, what's the one in Bonn called? I mentioned that one. In a while. IZA, which is uh, Institute the workshop thing. It's the Institute for the Study of Labor is the translation. I don't, uh, know. I don't know how to say it in German. Gotcha. All right. Uh, and, another research institute. Yes. On the other part of the world. And you can find him blogging at Beeronomics and also tweeting at Beeronomics. Uh, you can. Uh, so today uh, we're going to take a trip to the Czech Republic, home of defenestrations, the one-time capital of the Holy Roman Empire, and of course, home to great beer. Uh, most people recognize Bohemia as the birthplace of the Pilsner style, but there's a lot more to Czech beer than pale lager, so we'll discuss both Pilsners and uh, Czech beers in general. Uh, it's one of the best beer countries in the world, and one with unexpected diversity, especially if all you know is the export Pilsners. Uh, so we will talk about that soon. But, yeah. but of course, before we do, we have to do the news. Next, the news. Next, the news. So what's up so in the beery world? We, part of our news segment, segment seems to be cataloging ABI's recent acquisitions. <laughs> That's and, true. Uh, another week, another podcast, and another <laughs> acquisition. We keep, the, we keep the AB scorecard. But yeah. they have, they're on an amazing acquisition streak, so it's just about every week there's some kind of new acquisition. Yeah. And this one, so uh, we know uh, more about the one in America where they're buying American craft beer mm -hmm. called the high-end uh, division of ABI. There's also an international one. I don't, I don't know if it has a name, but they're buying international uh, craft breweries. And they, so ABI had purchased Bira del Borgo, which is one of the most important craft breweries in Italy. It's something like buying uh, Sierra Nevada or, or maybe when Lagunitas got bought. It's, it's uh, one of the three most important one of the biggest and one of the few that's located in the south they're in Rome most of the other bigger ones are up in north so um, it was a great purchase if you're ABI that would be that would be one you'd want to get wow. and and the name of their division is again for American craft beers is high end the high end I, I think now I'm questioning that no, it's sure. interesting given their given their uh, boldly defiant advertising campaign for their macro lager um, to admit that there's a higher and lesser end. I don't know. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> uh, counter, it's counter branding. Well, yeah. <laughs> Why you look that up? Another <laughs> um, uh, beer news: Boston beer uh, missed projections this year. Is it year or quarter? Uh, I don't know. They missed projections. Uh, yeah. They flat. Apparently, their their beer sales have flattened in 2014 and even dipped in 2015. Um, and what's particularly interesting is that 
although they make uh, 2.5 million barrels of beer, um, it's become now down to just 60% of their overall production of beverages. Um, and it's falling pretty fast as a percentage. Uh, you may know that their cider line, which is... Angry Orchard. Angry Orchard, thank you. Uh, and um, tea, iced tea. Twisted tea. Twisted, is that the one? I, think, yeah. I think that's theirs. Thank you. <laughs> All those good, good, good research we've done. Yeah. Uh, cider apparently is 25% of the business. The tea business is now 15%. Um, they just added an alcoholic seltzer. Uh, so um, I don't think it'll be long before beer is probably less than half of what they do. And that'll be an interesting moment um, when the biggest craft brewery in America is making less craft beer than they're making other stuff. Yeah, and before we potted, we mentioned, we talked about sort of Boston Beer as being um, sort of a beverage company first and a craft brewer maybe second. I don't know if that's harsh. I don't mean it to be. I just mean that um, uh, it's originally a contract brewed beer and, you know, it started, I think, definitely as as a business, not as a as this sort of classic home brewer gone pro or a passion project, a passion project that, that a lot of these new um, craft brewers are. So, uh, but nonetheless, it was, I think, fundamental foundational in the, in the growth of craft beer in the United States. So yeah, interesting absolutely. to see how it, how it evolves. And by the way, there was a little tidbit that, um, that I noticed uh, the other day, speaking of the evolution of craft beer, there's a brewery in North Carolina. I don't know it personally, but it's called triangle and it's in Durham, North Carolina. Apparently, it was one of the early craft brewers um, in North Carolina. It was started in 2007. Um, pretty soon after, apparently, they repealed the the state law that uh, restricted um, uh, beer uh, um, strength. Strength, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ABV. It was uh, it, it was restricted at six percent or less. Um, and so soon after that, apparently, some people credit that to to uh, starting the beer, um, the craft beer uh, scene in North Carolina. Anyway, nonetheless, um, the point is that they're closing, uh, and um, it's, I think, sort of a harbinger of things to come in craft beer um, that the new normal, I think, is going to be, you know, there's a lot of openings of craft brewers, and now we're going to start seeing uh, other uh, craft brewers starting to, to close. I think um, in some some cases there's kind of a natural life cycle some of it's just the creative destruction that happens um new brewers come along and uh some of the ones who've been around for a while can't keep up with the new innovations or keeping their lines fresh i have no idea what happened to triangle um they allude to some sort of production problems and quality problems that they had in the past and Hmm. in this day and age it's hard to recover from from a bad period so that's right. The margins are getting the, the margins for success are getting narrower and narrower. Yeah, it's so. becoming quite a quite a competitive marketplace. So, I think that's that's going to be we're going to be hearing more and more of these. It's not a sign, I think, of a market in trouble. I think it's actually a sign of a very very healthy market. So, as I've mentioned in the past, excellent. Yeah, but though our condolences to the folks who work for that brewery. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our last item is just a, a note that last Saturday, uh, the 23rd, February 23rd, maybe something like that. Sounds right. Or April 23rd. Let's get the month right. That'll help. That sounds even better, yeah. Uh, Reinheitsgebot celebrated its 500th anniversary. So the f- famous old um, tax and bread law and kind of weird law that has been rendered as purity, which is only one of the components. Um, yeah. And which was which was uh, until relatively recently only a Bavarian law. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it was it's been around for five hundred years. So. Yeah, it actually got a lot of attention. The media I kept seeing little articles about 
Einheitsgebot. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it is an incredibly important uh, piece of legislation in terms of beer, in terms of shaping the way that uh, German beer developed, and also just kind of stands as this weird relic to an earlier way of thinking about commerce and and produce and uh, and here it is. Yeah, 500 years later. 500 years later, and we're still talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now it's time to turn to the uh, main topic of the pod, which is a, a tour. Uh, one of our, our now um, fairly frequent uh, pods, um, venturing into other parts of the world and discussing the beer scene. And today we're going to talk about the Czech Republic. Yeah, and we have a lot to cover, so I'm going to trot through the history in a little more abbreviated version than I normally do. Okay. Whinge long too long because um, the beer in the Czech Republic is uh, one of the great hidden gems in the beer world. We, we know the style of Pilsner uh, and we so we think we know all about Czech beer but it, but it turns out the beers that we get here, the two Pilsners that are regularly sold here from the Czech Republic are kind of weird mm-hmm. in terms of the beer that you get in Czech Republic and they make all this other kind of beer in, in the Czech Republic. So there are... Uh, there's a lot to know about this world, which is hidden right in plain view. And right. so we want to talk a lot about the beer itself. Um, so we'll get into that. But uh, the, the really brief thumbnail history, as I think many people know, is that uh, back in 1842, mm-hmm. this uh, small town called Pilsen, mm-hmm. which uh, is the German pronunciation and the Czech pronunciation, as with so many other Czech words is very difficult. Uh, <laughs> we'll do our best, but uh, for since we have this nice German pronunciation, we'll, we'll call it Pilsen for now. Okay. Uh, they were making very bad at ales uh, at the time, and it was so bad that they started dumping beer. The town fathers dumped all this infected, nasty ale out, and they decided we want to brew like the Bavarians are brewing that lager. And it was starting; lagers were starting to be more common in Bohemia too. I see. So they built a brewery and hired a German, uh, yeah, a Bavarian, I'm sorry, not German, a Bavarian uh, <laughs> brewer from Munich to come over, and he brewed the world's first Pilsner. Uh-huh. There are a couple of interesting things about this story to note. Uh, one is that, um, he, and this is also typical, and we still see examples of this to the day, which is that um, breweries often were malt houses. They, also, they had on-site malt houses. Right. So the big innovation uh, that, that Grohl brought to the table was he used uh, a technique of malting that produced really pale malts. Yeah, so Joseph Grohl is the guy you're talking about. Yeah, yeah Joseph Grohl. <laughs> uh, and so he was also a maltster. And in, in the Czech Republic, these, these guys are called Schladmisters. Schladmister. I and, like it. Uh, yeah, and if you, have one of a brewer, if you have a brewery where you have a, both a brewmaster and a maltmaster, Schladmister. the maltmaster is considered the more skilled and uh, valuable position. Yeah. So uh-huh. there's a brewery called uh, Ferdinand near Prague that I went to, and they do both, both malting and brewing. And I got to meet David Marisch, the, the, malt, the Schladmister there. And he's uh, a real badass. Um, and the reason is because you're making the beer out of the malt. The malt is critical. If you don't right. have good malt, you don't have good beer. Yeah. So Grohl made this really pale malt um, that was probably heavily influenced by pale malting techniques in England and produced this sparkling pale lager, which was wildly popular. Mm-hmm. And within uh, 50 years, ales were basically extinct. In, but how was it Czech. different from the uh, lagers that the um, Bavarians were brewing? The, basically, I think the only thing that distinguished the two at the time was the color. Uh, it was Bavarian beer. It was mm-hmm. totally Bavarian beer. They called it the Bavarian style beer uh-huh. when they when they were brewing it, and they were they were importing Bavarians. Like the first six or some 
brewers at Pilsner Urquell, this brewery that Kroll founded came to be called Pilsner Urquell, the one we know okay. today. Yeah. Um, and the first series of brewers were all Bavarians because they knew how to brew lagers. Right. And, and that was that was typical across the country. They kept bringing Bavarians in to brew these beers. So it's just the local malt, essentially, that's... Yeah, the, it was... Malt had been getting paler and paler and paler, and, and mm-hmm. um, they were making... Uh, Munich malt already in Munich, mm-hmm. uh, and they were making Vienna malt already in, in Vienna, and so they had made some pale beers there. Mm-hmm. And I think even the Viennese was probably quite pale, but right. not not Pilsner pale. Right. So that was the big that was the big thing. Interesting. Okay. So that turned. But prior to that, uh, the Czech Republic was basically an ale brewing region. Mm-hmm. Um, our friend Evan Rail, who's an American living in uh, Prague, and is a source of basically half of the information I have. The other half comes from Max Bonson, right. an Argentinian living in Prague. Uh, these guys have done great work cataloging everything we know about Czech beer. Um, he points out that it's possible that, uh, and likely that uh, lager brewing goes way back, like 500 years or more in the Czech Republic, but it was it had clearly died out. Right. And in Bavaria, it was, uh, it was still lager brewing. Hmm. So then, then we just trot through uh, the next 150 years really fast. You have um, uh, the Czech Republic falling in and out of independence. They were, at the time, Bohemia was part of the uh, Austrian Empire. Then um, it becomes independent. There's world wars. Uh, um, they're occupied by other countries. They're independent. Then they're, then we have the Cold War. They're occupied by other country. And then <laughs> come to uh, around 1990. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the date of Czech independence was, but around right. around that 1990 period, yeah. and then finally they get they get independence again. So what happens in in this period of time between 1842 when it's a Bavarian tradition right. and 1990 when it's a Czech tradition is these two lines have deviated, and the particularly while in the 20th century Germany pursued the techniques of modern brewing, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, the Czech breweries were state owned and they were unchanged. So, you know, from post-war period through the late 80s, there, not a whole lot happened in the Czech Republic. So they sort of maintained the traditional brewing yeah. methods and, and techniques. And that's where it really, I think, is the most interesting thing about the Czech scene today is their beers are um, a little bit, they have more character. They're more aromatic. They're more flavorful. They're, we, we might even consider them more rustic, even though their techniques... Though, less industrial, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, less industrial. They just have more character. Uh-huh. And we'll, we'll get into that in, in a minute about what, uh, what that character looks like. But anyway, that's kind of the, the background and why the, the Czechs, though they make lagers and they come from the Bavarian tradition, it was really the Bavarians that changed and the Czechs kind of trundled on in an old way. Right. And now, after the, after the uh, new... Uh, uh, independence following the Cold War, mm-hmm. many of the old techniques were codified and now are hallmarks of brewing technique and considered critical to the development of this beer. So, right. um, and a lot of these techniques have been abandoned along the way elsewhere. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds very, um, very uh, sort of Soviet to me to take an old tradi- to take something old and ineff- inefficient and call it traditional and. Yeah, Def- defend it. <laughs> Continued use. <laughs> That's the cynic, the cynic in me. Uh, but no, it's the, the the artifact though is it's cool because we have these old brewing traditions preserved and it creates a different type of beer. And it's very au courant because now 
breweries are going back to these old traditions. Exactly. So it's like, it's like the cool way. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's in a way very contemporary. So, so. this is, this is, I'll, I'll just jump off here since it's a moment to talk about economics is interesting in, yeah. in the, um, the sort of exposure to market forces versus the protect, the, the protection from market forces that the, the Soviet system, uh, afforded, uh, when you not, when you, when you don't have to be so responsive to market forces, then you can become either sort of one way is to, is to say old, antiquated, inefficient. But the other way is it allows you to preserve these traditions. And a lot of what I think we're seeing now in this real um, uh, strong and seemingly growing demand for things art- artisanal is this reaction against the the um, effects of market forces over the last 50, 60 years, you know, at least in the United States, mm-hmm. is we become, you know, lots of the stuff has become homogenized and industrial and people want now something more authentic and something more local. So yeah. all of a sudden, and then, then there you have Czech Republic brewing beer in these old traditional ways. Yeah. It's an irony. Yeah. Interesting. And good for, good for them too, because, uh, uh, they make great beer and it's, it's a nice that they're, they're like back in the mainstream. So, um, uh, I don't want to jump ahead if, if, if we are, but um, at what point did um, German start brewing beer that they called Pilsner? Uh, the German, so um, the, the Bavarian tradition was the, the lager brewing tradition. This, mm-hmm. it's, a good, this is a great question. It's a really fascinating <laughs> uh, wrinkle in the whole story. Um, but they brewed Dunkels. They were, they were into dark beers. Right. The, the, the Munichers, they liked to make you know, nice dark round Lager, that's what they made. Mm-hmm. They made forever. They were famous for it. Yeah. And so then this bohemian stuff, everybody's raving about it. And um, they were raving about Vienna lagers too. And this pale, st- the, the, the German, the Bavarians were just not into that. The, the Munich, <laughs> the Munichers were not into that. Uh-huh. And then, so Pilsner actually started spreading as a, as a style to other countries before it got to Germany, even uh-huh. though it's, you know, just a few miles away. Right. And, uh, and then eventually... Spotten decided to brew what they called a Hellas, not a Pilsner, a Hellas, uh, which means light or you know right. uh, pale colored. Right. And uh, it was such a controversial thing that the Munich Brewers Guild almost had a schism. <laughs> they there were people in the guild who said that's not Munich beer. You can't brew that. You're gonna, we're going to throw you out. And it was almost a defenestration. <laughs> it was almost a defenestration. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a topic of uh, religious fervor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so uh, it, it was it was successful, and of course now when you go to the uh, very you find Hellas's everywhere, and then and then and now uh, Pilsner started getting brewed after that. So right. it came after that, but because of this cultural bias against pale beers, mm-hmm. uh, Germany actually was a little slower to adopt it, uh, which is an, an irony. Yeah. Um, and also, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Bavarians were thinking like we don't need to. We taught you how to brew. We're not going to brew your sexy, trendy little beer there. We have our, <laughs> our honest dunkel. We don't need that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So anyway. And, was, then, and then at some point uh, in the what? And, and so that was 1892. Did I say that? Hellas, the first Hellas was 1892. I don't think you did. Yeah. But this is right about the time when, when uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch or what's the dude's name? August Bush? No. Fred Anheuser. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> anyway, when he brought, uh, created Budweiser in the United States, it must have been when this style was being fairly trendy or. Yeah. He went uh, to 
the Czech Republic. Uh, I'm, I have to remember. I'm a little bit. I'm my, throwing you a curveball here, but go ahead. No, it's okay. And I, I can't remember if he actually went to the Czech Republic or if he went to a beer festival and tasted Czech beer. Okay. But he tasted beer, whether it was in the Czech Republic or Bohemia, uh, or 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 beer from there, and he was really taken by one of the the products that was from Budweiss. Right. Uh, and that was made. So we're gonna we're gonna taste. Budweiser Budvar later here, and we're going to talk a little bit about that brewery, and we'll talk about that brewery's connection to Anheuser-Busch. Right. But the interesting thing is, when he went home and named his beer Budweiser, the brewery that is now called uh, Budvar mm-hmm. did not yet exist. Right. So he named it after, a, there was another product out on the market, another Budweiss beer yeah. that was called Budweiser. So, so he was just making something in that style. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, right. it's interesting. All right, I just wanted to throw that in there since we're talking about the history. Yep. <clears throat> All right, well, let's talk. Uh, if you go to Prague, uh, and everybody should definitely go to Prague, it is one of the coolest cities in the world, um, or anywhere in the Czech Republic, you're going to be confronted by a whole bunch of weird stuff mm-hmm. uh, in terms of beer. You will you will find Pilsner, but it mostly won't be called Pilsner unless it's the one that comes from Urquell, the right. brewery. Uh, and you'll find a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't look like Pilsner. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's talk about that because I think this is one of the more interesting things about Czech beer that people don't realize is that not, it's not all Pilsners. Yeah, let's do. Yeah. So in the Czech Republic, they have this naming convention. And there's, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, uh, one dimension is strength mm-hmm. and one dimension is color. Yes. So every beer... Uh, is is a compound name which identifies both color and strength. Right. So um, when we're talking about strength, uh, and we we you know I practiced our pronunciation, so we'll uh, you can you can weigh in. Yeah. Uh, well, you 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 very nicely provided some phonetic guidance here. So we'll I, see. <laughs> yes. We'll see. And Czech Czech speakers, uh, as always, forgive us. Um, the weakest, so the Czechs, uh, when you go to Czech Republic, uh, you'll see that the the Plato system, mm-hmm. which is also called the Czech balling system, mm-hmm. uh, the degree has a degree next to it. Right. This system is um, absolutely ubiquitous. Everybody uses that. So yeah. uh, many times they'll it'll say, you know, like the, uh, um, it'll say Budvar 10, and that's not the standard Budvar. That's the, the 10 degree. The standard Budvar is a 12 degree. Right. So it's just listed like that. Um, that's the Plato system. For people who don't know, what the Plato system is is not really important to get into the weeds, except for the bigger number means the more uh, potential grain and the more alcohol that's likely to be in it. Right. Uh, and the smaller means the weaker the beer. Right. So the so those categories are Stolny Pivo, which is table beer under six degrees Plato, which is going to be like basically as like children's beer, like two percent beer. And I right. never I never saw. Stolny Pivo. I've been to the Czech Republic a couple of times. I never saw it. Yeah. So maybe that was a wartime thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pivo, by the way, just means beer. Yep. Okay. Yep. Pivo. Um, Vichetny Pivo is uh, from seven degrees to ten degrees, and mm-hmm. ten ten is the really common strength that you see here. And this yeah. is sort of like pub beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of pub strength beers comes in at ten. Uh, Lejac is eleven degrees to twelve degrees, and this is the the beers that we get. Uh, Pilsner Urquell and Budvar, those are Lejocs. Okay. But uh, and you find them really commonly in the pubs too. But um, it, it, my my sense is, and this was Hive Mind told me this. I thought Lejocs were more common, but Hive Mind tell me uh, in the pubs, 
Vichetneys are actually more common. Yeah. So. And Vichetney, you, you have a little note here that uh, it comes from the word for tap room. Right. And it literally means draft beer. Yeah, which is weird. Um, Lejac literally means lager. Uh. And, but of course, you can make an ale to Lejac strength. Sure. So these are weird. Like you don't want to know the literal word. It, right. It's actually confusing. Yeah. They've, now just speak, they've now taken on new meanings. Yeah. Okay. And then the... Uh, uh, the strongest is Spezial, Spezial. which is uh, above 13. And I've, you know, I saw beers that were 16 and 18 degree beers. So right. you can get pretty special. You can get pretty special, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the colors are pale is Svetle or uh, Svetli. Uh-huh. So this is one thing I've never really understood is how things modify each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's Svetle Lejac or Svetli Lejac or how you know that, I, I'm never I totally tumbled on right. that business. Um, but anyway, Svetli is, play, is uh, pale. Uh, tamave is dark. Mm-hmm. And there's one in the middle called Palatamave, which is an amber colored, and it literally means something like half dark. Half dark, yeah, semi dark. Yeah. Right. And then Cherne is, bl- is the word for black. And uh, it's another category, although in my experience, Tamaves and Chernes are interchangeable. Right. And some breweries choose one name, some choose both, another. Both really dark. Yeah, and okay. they don't they don't really correspond to anything. Okay, so you can get a Svetle Lejac, you can get a Tamave Lejac. Exactly. Okay. Right, right on. So when you go to if you go to a pub in uh, uh, the Czech Republic, that's what you do. You look for the the different ones, and if you saw Paul Tamave, you know that's a. So that's what they use as descriptors, or is that how you order? You, uh, you order by brand. You order by brand, but okay. it'll usually have a description, or it'll have the the balling and. Um, if it's not a if it's not a, a Svetli, it seems like it usually tells you it's a Tamave or a Paul Tamave yeah. or something. So, in your experience, are the pubs um, tied houses, or are they different? Uh, they have different beers. Uh, a ton of them are tied houses. There okay. are independents, okay. um, and I don't know the I don't know the breakdown, but yeah. there are a lot of tied houses. I'm just curious. Uh, and then there are a few other categories that are cool to know, and these are becoming much more interesting and, and popular in the Czech Republic uh, mm-hmm. as craft beer has taken over. Um, Kvasnitsove. 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 Uh, pivo. <laughs> yes, pivo. This means this is yeast beer, and this is a really common thing. It's sort of like krausening, where you um, add yeast right before uh, it goes out into the pubs. Oh, okay. And uh, it's sort of, it's a little bit like a, a cask ale. So mm. um, you get a you get a little bit more fermentation activity. Uh, it pours. Re- it's got a rustic haze, and it's. Is it is it um, uh, is it served using a beer engine, or they put it on on CO two? So I think now I've I've, I've kind of I confused this with Tankova. Tankova uh-huh. is another one, mm-hmm. and this is um, a thing where they they deliver a like a a huge tank, uh-huh. and. Uh, <laughs> It, it's it's unpasteurized and it's served straight out of that tank and it comes fresh from the uh, from the brewery. Ooh, I want some of that. And I can't remember the distinctions between these these two and how okay. they get there and how they're served. Right. And I can't remember which one is how they how they're all served. But um, the kvasnitsove is uh, is really pretty tasty. Yeah, a little bit more obscure, kind of hard to find, uh-huh. but um, really nice. And then the last one is ne uh, ne filtrovane. Uh, mm-hmm. Which Nefil Trovani. which um, okay, it's more Italian. I'm giving it the little, hey, the yeah. little Nefil Trovani. <laughs> it is pretty close to Italy, so. uh, and that means uh, unfiltered. Uh-huh. And so it's another kind of variation. It'll be a little bit more um, 
uh, rustic looking, have a, sometimes have a bit of a, a haze, not always though. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, I think the, the Nefiltrovane is really great, really good for local non-packaged beer that you're sending to the pubs because mm-hmm. um, it's just preserves more of those flavor compounds. Yeah. So if you go to the pubs, these will, you'll find these. Um, there are other, there's craft beer, which we can talk about a little later on, and, and some of the other uh, styles of beer that you might find in international scenes. Czech has that too, but these are the classic Czech uh, varieties. Yeah. Uh, so what is what makes Czech beer distinctive? This is a... Uh, a, a really fascinating question, um, and it's one of those ones that, for me, it's really frustrating as a as an envoy from the Czech Republic. I have to try to paint this picture with words because the beers that we have uh, are weird. And when you're in the Czech Republic, like Pilsner Urquell is the ancient Pilsner. It's the only beer that is called Pilsner there. If you go to a pub and right. you order Pilsner, that's what you get. No, that's what they give. That's yeah. what they give you. If you ask another brewery that makes a Svetly Lejak. Do you make a Pilsner? No, we don't make Pilsner. Urquell makes Pilsner. Uh, and part of that is not just because they're the original, but there is a huge amount of deference given to them for that. Okay. Part of that is because their beer is really different. And it's really weird. It's more expensive. Uh-huh. It's considered a specialty item. It's, uh-huh. it's much heavier. Um, and I, since we're going to start out talking about brewing, we should probably crack the Urquell and, yeah, and drink this. Yeah. I think a lot of people will know I'm, this one. I'm getting thirsty just talking about it. Here, I'm gonna. You do that, and I'll keep talking. So we'll, you have a you have an Urquell in a can. Yeah, this is super cool. They finally started canning these yeah, things. Which they, is a great way to ship beer overseas, everybody yeah. out there in the beer world. Until very recently, they would only send them in the green bottles, which is a disaster. So they were always skunked, and even brown bottles all the way from the Czech Republic don't yeah. come in a great shape. So cans kick ass. We love the cans. Um. So. Let's talk a little bit about the way these things are brewed because that will hint at the quality that you get in the, the product. Wait. Give me a little, little bubble. Pa- pause for the audio. Little, there. Yeah, a little audio beer porn, whatever. <laughs> so a few things that are that are important to know about. Uh, oh, one thing, I forgot that when I was talking about that weird rustic stuff. Ah, that smells good. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, okay. we gotta have to break because we got audio clip. We have a cool audio clip, which I forgot I was gonna mention when we were talking about the history. Okay, yes, 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 I got, yes, yes, I got that's a little right. distracted. Um, one of the things that is really characteristic in Czech pubs is this old piece of equipment called a grant, and mm-hmm. it's these swan neck uh, faucets that uh, the wort runs into this tub right. through these swan neck faucets, like a trough. It's like a big trough, yeah, right? Exactly. You have all these little swan neck faucets. I, so we saw one of these in, in England. So yeah. I know I haven't been to the Czech Republic, by the way. Uh, and yeah, there's a big long trough, and these little swan neck doohickeys drain into it. And uh, I saw one at Budvar, and I asked Adam Brosh, and we're going to have some clips here today from Adam Brosh, who is the master brewer at Budvar, uh, and he is a sweetheart of a guy. And he was very cool to hang out with. Um, I asked him. That when when they got their new brewery right after uh, the wall came down, they installed a brewery that had the grant. And you know, in brewing, you don't want to agitate or aerate your wort in any way. So this is a process that um, will splash the beer and make it splash. And you don't you typically don't want that. And right. so I asked him about that because it's this weird. It's a relatively new brewery. It's like this brewery dates to like the early '90s, and they surely had information then that you know grants cause aeration and so he uh, and this is just kind of 
one this is one example of weird things Czechs do that is demonstrative of their weird old ways and, uh, <laughs> and how they how they're working with that in the 21st century. So let's listen to Adam talk about uh, the grant and how he relates to that. All right, here we go. The wort, the sweet wort, is filtered through the bottom. That's the classical process. Yep. It runs through the open valves. That's interesting. Again, yeah, uh, because uh, sometimes if you if you open the, the literature, uh, you will see that the oxidation processes uh, are bad for the beer, and uh, it's necessary to avoid them. Right. Uh, but uh, there are several articles, especially from Germany, when uh, the stages in the brew house were compared and not always the oxygen was the bad thing. If uh, the sweet water runs through these open valves, a small amount of oxygen is taken in and uh, the reaction between polyphenols and uh, proteins runs well. That's like, all's well that ends well, right? All's well that ends well, yeah. Uh, Turns out just enough little oxygen. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, a good thing. So that's that's kind of typical. They do weird things. And and we've just cracked open a Pilsner Urquell here. Uh, and uh, I'm going to riff on this as we, we talk about the flavor components. One thing that okay. you notice about this beer, uh, which is surprising, I think, to people who are familiar with Pilsners, is how dark it is. Yeah, I was about, that's exactly what I was about to say. It's not as light as you would expect if you use, you know, I don't know, Budweiser as your guide or something. Yeah, it's a very deep golden beer. It's mm-hmm. quite quite a gorgeous beer. And this uh, this is a hint at a few things that the Czechs do. So one, one thing about the Czechs uh, that's really interesting is they have uh, malting techniques, which are kind of antiquated. Uh, they're often particular, and they're also really into uh, particular varieties of malt, just like the, the English are. You know, you can talk about uh, optic or Maris Otter or one these kinds of uh, barley strains. Right. The Czechs are really they they have that strong relationship to their their barley's too, mm-hmm. and then they malt them specifically. Pilsner Urquell has maltings on site. They malt their own thing to their own specifications. Oh, interesting. And when you taste this, um, one of the things that's really pronounced is the roundness of the the flavor. Yeah. Uh, or the of the mouth feel. Mm-hmm. This comes partly from the way the the barley, the the variety of barley and the way it's malted. Yeah. Uh, and it is. And this is a thing that I think is the most um, important thing about the Czech beers to, to recognize: is malt is, is is really particular. It's aromatic. It's very uh, uh, flavorful. It contributes a ton to the character of the beer. But it, unlike in Germany, where the malt tends to the beers tend to be thinner and more kind of refined and dry at the end, mm-hmm. uh, Czech beers are they're there's a way in which they kind of remind me of, of English beers mm-hmm. in that way. The, the malts are rounder and breadier and richer and more pronounced. Now, that's a really good point because um, the malt is really present on the nose. Yeah. Um, and as you say, it's got a very rich uh, mouthfeel for, you know, for a light, a light lager like, uh, like this. It's, very, um, it's a very full, full beer. It's not thin at all. Yeah. Um, packed, packed full of flavor. It is packed full of flavor. Um, we have a quote here from Adam talking about uh, the maltings. Why don't we listen to him and just mention that a bit? Okay, here we go. We have to uh, uh, be specified the varieties. We purchase only the malt 
which was produced from the Czech uh, barley varieties. Okay. It's really very important protection because the variety uh, could change the final taste, the taste profile of the beer, in yeah. spite of the fact that the analyticals are very similar or the same. Uh-huh. Of course, with a brewery like Budvar, they're looking to have a consistent flavor. But the, but the advantage in having these all these different varieties, mm-hmm. multiple different specifications, is it gives you an enormous amount of variety when you're making a beer style that has essentially one malt type and one hop type. Right. So you want to try to be able to imprint your own character on this beer. Uh-huh. And one of the ways you do it is having different Pilsner malts made that have different character. Uh, interesting. It's a sort of a malting blending process. Huh? Yeah. And, and the challenge at Budvar is to take, as the... As they continue to come out with new varieties, new breeders come out with new varieties of, of uh, malt. Budvar wants the beer to taste the same, of course. Right. But, but in the Czech Republic, it means that you have an opportunity to have very different flavors of malt. Right. right. Uh, the other big thing, of course, and the, re- the reason this is so dark um, is because the Czech brewing uh, technique is still decoction, mm-hmm. which is this ancient technique which involves pulling out part of the mash and boiling it and then returning it to the mash, the main mash, which raises the overall temperature. And when you do this over time, you keep pulling part of the mash out. Check, uh, sorry, Pilsner Quell does it three times. Two is more standard, but, wow. um, uh, but even at, if you do it two times, you're boiling the mash, which includes both the liquid and the grain. Right. And it creates these things called melanoidins, which are, um, like, rounded, uh, warm, biscuity flavor molecules, uh-huh. and they have, they have viscosity. Right. And they had color, which was where, where we're getting this color. So mm-hmm. all of this stuff is what contributes to this, uh, this kind of uh, this character. And at some point, I, I would like to go back and do a whole thing on decoction. <laughs> I, have a, I have a bunch of tape of Adam Brosh talking about decoction and, uh-huh. and, and his views on that. We won't go into, into it so much except to say that um, – this is this ri- this richness is one of the one of the main things decoction is right. designed to do is right. create the richness. Yeah, interesting. Um, so then, of course, we have uh, the the hops, which are the most like when in America we think the difference between uh, Czech pills and German pills is the hops. Right, and there's a lot more differences than that, but but it is one of the reasons that has taken hold is because these these hops that the Czechs use are so distinctive mm-hmm. and um, they're one of the oldest styles they're a land race variety that goes back uh, hundreds of years and many of the many of the popular varieties grown elsewhere have uh, saws parentage right so um, it's a it's a it's maybe the most important hop in the world probably the most important hop in the world and it also has a really distinctive flavor um, which I I always use the word tangy. To me, it seems tangy. Hmm. No one else agrees with that, <laughs> but um, but that's what it. Some people usually use, use say like spicy or that's something. A, yeah, yeah, that was the term I was going to say. I would say it's it's a spicy hop, um, but in a very distinct way. It is very distinctive. Yeah. Once you once you know this hop, you can identify it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, these the Svetly Lejaks uh, are typically made with uh, with just Pilsner malt, which they call pale malt in, mm-hmm. in, in uh, the Czech Republic. And uh, usually uh, one hop or they have a few other varieties of 
uh, hops that are related to saws too, but they really like that saws character. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, it tends to be, they tend to be pretty hoppy too. This is a, uh, Pilsner Requel is a pretty, pretty hoppy beer. Um, and it, uh, it can carry that hoppiness because it's got so much rounded body. So yes. it's, it's like the balance point is much higher. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, uh, and, oh, we have a nice piece from Adam Brosh talking about, uh, the, the hops here. And I threw this in here because he pronounces them. If you ever want to know how to pronounce saws. It's not saws. It's not saws. <laughs> so, let's find out. Yeah. So the fourth vessel, that's the uh, wort kettle, yeah. where uh, the sweet wort is boiled with hops. The hops is added for three times. At first, at the beginning, when the bottom is covered. Okay. After that, when there is a full kettle. And the third dose, that's for about uh, half an hour uh, before uh, the end of boiling. It takes 90 minutes here. Okay. And those are the saws. Saws. Yeah. yeah. How do you yeah. say saws? Saws. Mm -hmm. Jatets. It's in Zatech. the Czech, Czech, yes. Czech language. Zas. Zas. Zatech is the region, and there ah. they call it Zatech. Zatech. Zas. Which is a really classy word, Zatech. Yeah. Uh, no one knows what you're talking about here, but I like it better. And Zas is much better than Saz. Yes. <laughs> one other thing that um, that clip revealed, which is also cool, is they use this technique called first word hopping. Um, and mm -hmm. every, every uh, uh, brewery in Czech that I visited did this. And the, the technique is really... Simple and obvious, and I don't know why other people don't do it. Um, when you're bringing the beer, the wort from the louder ton into the kettle right. after it's been coming off the mash, mm -hmm. uh, typically what happens is people bring it over. It takes a long time, many minutes, and then once it comes over, they bring it to a boil, and then they add the first edition of hops. Right. That's like classic. The checks just throw the hops in right away. So. Right. As the as the wort's coming over, the they're steeping in the the hops are steeping in it, and then as it's coming to a boil, they're steeping in it. Mm -hmm. And they the Czechs believe it gives it a softer character. Mm. Um, the hop the um, the bitterness is considered more refined and soft, uh, of by the Czech lights. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I think that was interesting there is he said that they don't add any additions after a half an hour, and I think that's also really typical. So the late additions are just not not in here and. And that's kind of surprising when you taste these beers because they are quite aromatic. The hops do present themselves quite nicely. Uh, you get a lot of hop flavor, very distinctive hop flavors, not a generic bitterness. Yeah. But um, they don't add really anything past a half an hour. And I think it's a testament to the quality of these hops. They just have a lot of uh, amazing character that, that carries Sur on through. Survives, yeah. And they're really they low alpha. alpha. They're like they're like 2.5% alpha. I mean, these are really ancient hops and they're uh -huh. not... Not bread for. Hmm. <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah, it's really good beer. It's my uh, father-in-law's favorite beer. It's a great beer. It really is. This is one of those big national brands that some people um, dismiss because you know it's now it's owned by Sab Miller and mm -hmm. uh, it, you know it's you can find it everywhere, but it's really. Uh, one of the most exceptional beers in the world. And its status, interestingly, that's not its status in the Czech Republic. In the Czech Republic, it's quite admired. I mean, I don't think it's, it doesn't have the cachet of some of the younger, cooler breweries. Right. But it's a, a lot of deference is given to that beer. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a sign, and I think this is the first beer that we've ever just polished right off <laughs> while we're talking. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Down she went. <laughs> Luckily, there's still a little bit left in the can. And it, that's how it's made to be drunk that way, too. And yeah. those Czechs, man, if you want... 
if you want to end up hungover, go out. Hang out with the pubs. <laughs> yeah. with Whew, man. With a check all evening. We're going to talk about lagering in a minute. And the reason I'm pouring out our next beer, which is the Boudvar, right. is because they are uh, they do a weird lagering thing. Uh, so we'll... So this is Boudvar from... Nice. It was very nice. Cheske Budjevica. Mm-hmm. How do you like that? I try. I've, I've worked a long time to pronounce that town correctly. Beautiful. Um, you can tell this one is lighter, but it's still pretty dark. Yes. Uh, lagering is, of course, the key to all of these. And when you, if you if you have a chance to go to Prague, you should uh, take the bus out to Pilsen and, and do the the the, the tour the tour of, of Pilsen Urquell because. They have uh, something like 11 kilometers of cellars underneath the brewery. Wow. <laughs> you can walk around, not all 11 kilometers, but you can walk around there. And these used to be, of course, just full of lagering beer. Yeah. Beer is, like you often say, it's it's big and heavy. Yeah. And it's a big barrier. And when you've got to let it sit there for a month. Where do you put it? <laughs> yeah, where do you put it? you gotta, you got to figure out something. Well, Boudvar is even crazier. They lager this beer. For three months. Wow. And that's the base one. They have a, a beer called Bud, which is not sold here for obvious reasons, uh-huh. uh, which is a, a, a Spezial, and it is um, lagered for six months. So they believe in what Adam Brosch calls deep maturation. Mm-hmm. And um, he puts those in there, and they continue to actually slowly, slowly, slowly ferment, too. So it's, it's not just uh, like a bright beer tank where it's inert. There is actual uh, biochemistry going on. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I had an, the opportunity to, when uh, the second time I visited Pilsner Urquell to taste unfinished uh, beer. Like it was, I think it was maybe uh, like five days into the lagering process. It had right. gone through primary, but it was incredibly green. And it was some of the worst, nasty, <laughs> horrible things really? I'd ever. It was just terrible. It was rough. It was super wow. uh, farty smelling. It had all <laughs> an amazing amount of sulfur. It was just, it was out of power. See, if they, if they had that in England, they would just prize it as something else. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Oh, oh, the fart. Uh, <laughs> that's when you know it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I was shocked at at how, at how bad it was, and it's how, interesting how much mellowing goes on. Then, yeah, yeah, that it was a real mind opener uh, or eye opener, yeah, uh, to see that. So the um, uh, but at Boudoir they have a, a different theory. They they think that you should do for this super long maturation, and that's not they're not the only ones who do it. It's mm-hmm. a minority because I think market reality suggests that you should go faster. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting thing. Boudoir is still state owned. So the market forces are maybe less. That's fascinating. Yeah. 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 And what we know in economics about state-owned enterprises, they tend to be less efficient, as you might expect. They also tend to employ uh, a lot. Part of their inefficiency is that they employ lots of people because often these state-owned enterprises become kind of a de facto employment agency as well. The government likes to keep people busy. So Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it means it also means that you can... You can hew to tradition for a lot longer, I suppose. That's right. So this is an interesting aroma. Yeah, this one, uh, the, Boudoir. This we got. I'm, we got this from our local bottle shop, uh, mm-hmm. Belmont Station, and it is a not skunked, which is delightful because it's really hard to find Boudoir not skunked. Mm-hmm. I bought Boudoir a bottle uh, when I was there, uh, which I brought home because I wanted to have both the cool bottle. It said. 
uh, Budweiser Boudvar on it, but mm -hmm. also because I wanted to share it here because it's so often skunked. And the bottle that I bought in the Czech Republic was skunked. I mean, green bottles are just terrible. So yeah. this one's not skunked. That's great. This is actually, ironically, my go-to beer when I was living in Brazil for a year because um, AB, of course, uh, uh, InBev, AmBev was the Brazilian conglomerate that uh, bought Budweiser and became in InBev. Um, anyway, it was one of the beers you could find consistently in the store, and it, it was surprisingly cheap. Um, and Brazilian macro lagers are just just the worst right <laughs> they're just undrinkable um practically uh and so this was like the one distinctive beer you could get that wasn't too expensive and um so i actually drank a lot of this in brazil boudvar i love because um the malts are really distinctive it's about yeah. half as bitter as pilsner urquell and uh by the way i think i think the english say urquell and the american say urquell i don't know which is right yeah. but uh, it's it's slightly lighter than uh urquell uh Double yeah. decocted, not triple decocted. Oh, okay, there you go. Um, I would describe the 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 aroma as slightly grassy, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. And also the the bready malts are really coming yes. through. Yes, yeah, yeah, with that as well. And the even though it's not a bitter beer, and it's something like twenty two IBUs, it's really quite mild. Um, because of the distinctiveness of the saws, they're really they're not strong, but they're really evident. So, as saws, they're just or what if zas? Um, zas. They are. Uh, they just have such a particular flavor that they just. They don't need to be strong. They can only hint. The hint is enough. Yeah, I'm pouring out the rest of the urquell here so I can compare because it's um, interesting. Interesting side by side. Yeah. Now, this is where everyone uh, who hears this has to feel perfectly. Uh, invited and and exhorted now to go to the czech republic so you taste beers that are not like this right <laughs> uh, and and just go from one to one to one and see what they taste like i think even if you had just these two with the german pilsner you'd see the distinction you, you start to hint at it especially if you're focusing in on those malts yeah yeah um but but there are so many other ways to make pilsners i often compare the pilsners or the czech the svetli lejaks and vichetni lejaks uh uh the Czech Republic to American IPAs, you know, American IPA is one style, but there are a million different ways to make it. Right. These beers are that way too. They're very, they're very, uh, buried. Yeah. So yeah. nice. Uh, what, so we should make while we're enjoying this, a quick mention of, um, some of the darker beers that they do there and different kind of beers that they make. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you go to Prague, there is a super cool brewery called Ufleku, um, which is kind of a tourist trap. And people sometimes skip it because it's got really like oompa looking things and um, it's just very touristy. Yeah. Uh, it's a giant brewery, a uh, giant pub, and it's mostly tourists. But everybody should go there for two reasons. One, because this brewery has been there since 1499 <laughs> and, they, and, it's, and it's legitimately, they've been actually there and brewing since 1499. It's not one of these fake things. Uh -huh. And they also make uh, a tamave. Uh, 13 degree tamave there that is the best maybe the best in the world um it's certainly an, one of the more remarkable beers i've ever had and it's it just goes to show that if you think that there's only uh pilsners from the czech republic this is like a perfect counterpoint to it um it's rich dark it's yeah it's very dark it's it's uh, quite creamy and and uh silky uh 
and but it's of course it's a good lager. It's not super like roasty. Uh-huh. Um, it's just uh, it's it it's ufleku. I mean, it's like it's sui generis. It's like it's its own thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's really great. And and say this again. Where is it in relation to Prague? It's in Prague. It is in Prague. Yeah, right? yeah. It's right in Prague, and that's one reason why everybody goes to it. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, All right, I want to go. Hey, you. Uh, we had one more audio clip. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Uh, leave behind which is about the maturation oh the lagering yeah, yeah the you lagering. mentioned the lagering so i introduced that just to get to that audio clip and i know and it. then you and then you punted so yeah so i'm, I'm here as your <laughs> thank god somebody's got their hand on the wheel <laughs> uh because actually it's my favorite of the clips i think yeah it's, it's a really good one uh so let's let's uh listen to it let, why you set it up yeah let me set it up by saying that on the day that i visited budvar uh they the whole brewery was shut down um, they, mm. they operate 365 days a, a year, but on that day they had to do electrical work. So the entire brewery was completely silent. Wow. And when we went into the cellars, we had to take a, a flashlight because <laughs> there was no, there was no light and it's in the cellars. So when we were down there, there are these ghostly, uh, uh, vertical, not vertical, horizontal tanks that look like torpedoes. Oh yeah. And they're just filling, it's like warehouses and warehouses. These What's things. the scale? Like how, how what diameter? Uh, there, I, th- I think he says on this that they're 200, but some would go up to 500 hectoliters. So that's like, uh, uh 200 hectoliters is like 175 barrels. Yeah. But I mean, as you're standing next to it, is it, is it 10 well, feet tall or? Yeah. They're stacked too. So they, oh, wow. yeah, there's, there's like three stacked up and they rise, I don't know, 30 feet above. Wow. That's yeah, really amazing. <laughs> Full of beer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's take a listen. So yeah, uh, they are horizontal. Uh, the volume is 200 hectoliters. Are these aluminum? No, they are uh, iron. Iron. And inside covered with uh, epoxide, with okay. the inert surface. Uh, they are uh, from uh, the 50s and 60s so yeah. of the last century, right. the 20th century. The maturation time for yes. uh, lager is 90 days. So three months is maturing in these tanks. Three months for the 12. Yeah. And then uh, more for the strong one. Uh, the strong, that's half a year. <laughs> half a year in three months. <laughs> I mean, that's there's a state of enterprise, I suppose, that doesn't mind sitting on massive <laughs> quantities of beer for three months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And when you I talk to other breweries, they say, oh, it's completely unnecessary. And when you talk to Boudoir, they say, it's, it's absolutely fundamental. That's absolutely fundamental. <laughs> the character of the beer does not develop in yeah. one month. Mm, so. It's delightful, by the way. Yeah, I I, I really like it too. Mm. The um, uh, the Urquell does it does it uh, lager as long? Only a month, which is much more typical. Yeah, I think a month is kind of standard. Yeah. Um, so they're both they're both excellent beers. What's interesting is that you have to look really hard to find Czechvar, which they call it here, right? Um, to not interfere with the Budweiser. Uh, patent um and uh but urquell you can find anywhere everywhere it's almost a mass market beer here yeah and, and and it's as you said it often gets overlooked just because of its ubiquity but but it's an excellent beer when we were getting ready for this podcast a bunch of people asked what's the difference between a an american beer uh an american pilsner a german pilsner and a czech pilsner yeah that was the main comment we got and so as kind of as a part of the mailbag we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> We're gonna find out. <laughs> we got a we got an American beer here, which uh, uh, is styled a uh, Keller beer by the brewery, but it's not exactly accurate. Um, this is the reason we chose this beer is it, it's a, a beer. It's called 
Spica or Spica? What did, what did, did we settle on Spica or Spica? Uh, Spica is what seems to be the more um, dominant uh, phonetic translation, but, um, but I don't think it matters. But it's from Ecliptic Brewing, um, which is a local craft brewer. So it's named after a star, a yes. binary star. All the beers are named after star systems. Yeah, and Ecliptic is, what, something to do with orbits or something like yeah, that? I can't remember. Something, something like that. Uh, but the point is that this is John Harris's brewery, and he's uh, he's a bit of a, uh, a, um, a cosmologist. I don't know <laughs> what you want to call that. Wait a minute, is that the same thing as an astrologer? No. Uh, he's into stars and planets and yeah. the solar system uh, and things like that. Um, but go ahead. And he is also the perhaps the most famous brewer in Oregon. Um, he was the founding brewer. He brewed for McMinimins and then uh, got a call from a guy named Gary Fish to help Gary do a little startup in Deschutes, in the Bend, which later became called Deschutes. So mirror, beers like Mirror Pond and Jubal Hill and Blackbeat Porter. Blackbeat Porter are all John Harris beers. These are all John Harris beers. So then he went to work for Full Sail, and now he's working at this little brewery called Ecliptic. And and one of the reasons we well, chose he, this, he started his own. Yeah, brewery he finally. started. This is his. Yeah. This is his baby. It's the first one he get to do. He got to do himself. And today at the brewery, John is going to be toasting his thirty years in the industry. So we thought it would be a yeah. nice. So for, for us so to, John, this is this is for you. Ah, there we go. This oh, that worked well. That was. Um, so this is John's pilsner, or what he calls pilsner. So, wait a minute. So, Keller beer, explain. Why is he calling this a Keller beer? I'm not sure why he's calling it a Keller beer. The thing that is so dominant in this, the palate of this beer... A Keller beer is what? Uh, Keller beer is an unfiltered uh, pale lager. It's mm-hmm. a German... It recalls Germany, though. Yeah. This may be unfiltered, but you wouldn't know it, because nope. it's clearly conditioned for a while. It has. It looks really clear. It's incredibly clear. And the thing that I remember about this, so I haven't had it uh, in the last few months, but... Um, is it's made with sterling hops, which are an American variety, but they, for among American-grown hops, the sterlings do a better job of creating that flavor of saws, zots, than uh, than uh, American-grown saws. So, um, and this is this is quite clear. It's a little bit uh, more pale than the Urquell. It's about the same color, I would say, very similar to the uh, Budvar. Very deep golden. It, de- it definitely looks more like a Czech style. It does not look like a pale German. Mm-hmm. It's it's got a lot of color like the Czech and the Czech variety. What the smell check? Uh, the smell check. So the big difference you'll it you immediately can tell is you don't smell the malt mm-hmm. the way you do in the other two. I yeah. smell the hops. Yeah, and the hops yeah have that sort of uh, I forget now zats zatsy zatsy yeah. quality, but it's not quite the same. Hmm. I'll, this, let you, I'll let you have a. These beers are subtle, and oh, I, interesting. I think one of the ways that they they dis, it's it's almost impossible to really nail down uh, the subtle distinctions when you're talking about beers these mm-hmm. subtle. Um, uh, so without having gone to the Czech Republic, it's sort of hard to triangulate if you haven't tasted it before. It's like yeah. trying to explain the flavor of orange to somebody who's never had it. Yeah, uh, but but this is really interesting because both on the nose but also on the palate you do not have that full mm. mouthfeel you don't have that grainy that bready grainy sensation that you get from these other two uh czech beers yeah that's right that's exactly right you get there is a there is a malt flavor there but it's 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 not czech malt it's um mm. it's a i would guess it's an american american malt it tastes it does not even taste german to me it yeah. has a, a much more kind of simple sweet with uh Almost a. Hmm. 
a toasted note, sweet, yeah. sweet toasted note. And there's a little bit bitter, bitter residue on the tongue from the hops that you don't get from these Czech beers. Does not have the soft refinement. Yeah, maybe he didn't. Uh, he probably didn't do first word hopping. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So maybe first word hopping is one thing. I was going to ask you about decoction too. So do you think if an American brewer took uh, uh, triple, double or triple decocted, you'd get a, a richer mouthfeel? Yeah. Become a little bit more. I do. I think this thing is really subtle, and a lot. There's a huge debate that goes on and on and on about whether or not people can determine if a beer has got uh, been decocted or not. But and I think the 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 key is not so much some arbitrary rule about the process. It's really about the result. And the result yeah. is that, that, that richness that you, you write, they're totally different. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, uh, it's a very, it's American in the sense that this beer, which is a really nice lager and it's really fresh and uh-huh. clean and tasty is presenting hops. Yeah. That's, yep. that's what it's designed to do. I was about to say I mean, it's very American in the yeah. sense that the hops are very present and at the forefront. These other beers are, and the, and the malts are not featured. The the Czech ones have a, a tripartite balance. I think mm-hmm. this is how I've described it between mm-hmm. the malts, uh, the hops, and then the crisp, smooth lager quality. Those three things all have to express themselves, and if any of them dominates the other, I think you've 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 missed the boat a little bit. You've like you want this is a beer that should be sung in harmony. Yeah, those three that three part harmony should be coming through. Yeah, that's fascinating. Actually, a great answer to the question to all these people. If you really want to understand the difference, go get a Pilsner Quell, which is probably easy to find just about anywhere. Um, hopefully, not skunked. Right, <laughs> and, get a can. Get a can if you can, uh, and then get some American version and, and have them side by side. And I think you'll you'll notice what we're what we're talking about. Yeah. So I wanted to mention. I know we're going to be running along here. I, I just wanted to mention on this oof, this Oofleku thing is so weird. Uh, when I was doing uh, my homebrew book, I was talking to Oofleku and they were going to collaborate with me and, and help me do their recipe. And then they, they kind of pulled out at the last minute, but not before they'd sent me some stuff about how they brewed this beer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I don't know if they still brew this beer the same way, uh, but they at one time did. And I think it just goes to show how weird the Czech Republic is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I When I saw it, I actually had to send it to a couple of local breweries to say, could you even make beer like this? Like, does this would this even work? What what does this mean? Uh-huh. And they said, oh, yeah. And they explained kind of how they thought the process would unfold. And and so the recipe called for uh, a mash. This was the mash more than the recipe. Uh, with a doughing in at 100 degrees. And this is a kind of an old-timey thing where you would um, – it's a, a process of wetting the, uh, the malt. Mm-hmm. And – um, and then raising it to 122 degrees, which is a classic protein rest. And this right. is used for um, un- under-modified malts or malts that may not be fully modified. Right. So it allows um, it allows you to do a thing in the mash that uh, more modern malting takes care of in the malting process. Right. But then, so now normally you'd go to some kind of sacrification rest, uh, which is in that 144 to 155 range, right. like the classic thing. Yeah. But no, the next stop they mentioned... <laughs> Straight to 167? 167. <laughs> and I couldn't understand that at all. And, and um, uh, Although you do mention it's in a slow rise. Yeah. So it does spend some time in that band. That's what I learned from... Okay. That's what the, the clarification came. Uh, I talked to both Ben Edmonds and uh, Alan Taylor and said, what? how would this go? And and that ends at Breakside and Alan Taylor at uh, Zoigel House. Right. Um, and Alan actually knew, Alan actually had a, a thing where he said, yeah, you'll raise, you'll raise it at about uh, one degree per minute. Mm. So 
you go through these, uh, you go through from 122 to 167, it'll pass through those zones and apparently do enough conversion. Yeah. But I think it will not do a great job of conversion. And right. then and it and that it goes to explain this weird beer. If you're ever in, in Prague, you'll you'll taste it. It's um. Uh, it's just so creamy and full. Mm. And I think if it were an ale, it would taste sweet and gross. But right. because it's lagered, uh, uh, you know, it's crisp. It yeah. has that crispness, which really takes care of the whole thing. Oh, interesting. And you can just, boy, you can just drink mugs of that stuff. All right, you made me thirsty. I it's, gotta get, get myself to Prague. It's fantastic. So that's, <laughs> that's you know, they do weird stuff there. I talked to a brewery that did a two-hour boil. I, I saw some breweries that are doing open fermentation. Um, we did this long maturation. So... There's a lot of like these old kind of vestiges of ways people used to brew that mm-hmm. you still find in the Czech Republic. And it produces, you know, we're talking about simple uh, lagers, mm-hmm. but it produces these simple lagers that have great variability one to the next and also just enormous character. Right. So uh, I think when people ask me, where should I go? What's the, what, if I'm going for a beer vacation, where should I go? I always send, I always, my encouragement is to go to Prague because you can never get these beers in America. You'll never mm-hmm. have tasted them. Yeah. You're in Prague, and Prague is Bohemia. You can take side day trips to other places like Cheska Budjevica or Pilsen uh, and see some other breweries if you're interested in those. But also Prague is just amazing. And then you get to taste all these amazing beers that uh, we basically don't know exist. They don't, you know, when you look at the beer style guidelines, they don't talk about Politomave. They don't talk about Cherne. Right. And But they're like totally legitimate classic beer styles, mm-hmm. world beer styles. But somehow the Americans have just it, it, escaped our notice. Yeah. So... Yeah. The Czech Republic, man. That's the place to go. All right. All right. Well, I'm ready to book my trip now. Yeah. You can do it. <laughs> you can also see the side of the defenestration, which is also groovy. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, well, we should move on. Uh, thank you for that uh, enlightening uh, tour of uh, Czech beer. Yeah. I hope people enjoyed it. We I had a kind of an impromptu Pilsner week at, at the blog this week, and so this is a good timing. So if you've been reading the blog, I hope you enjoyed this, too. It kind of fits in as of a piece. So, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Uh, mailbag. We kind of uh, addressed the mailbag with our uh, American um, uh, Pilsner question, but are there yeah. other? Yeah. Uh, and Jonathan said, do you think it's possible to replicate the Czech base malt quality and true decoction flavor mm-hmm. by using American base malt and American base malt specialty malt combination, which is a classic way Americans have tried to, to create a counterfeit right. of, uh, of the um, the Czech style. And I think no, I I never <laughs> I've never encountered it. I don't. I think I think part of it is the flavor of base malts that you get. The flavor of these Pilsner malts that come from the Czech Republic. They're like Marisotter. I mean, you can't you can't recreate Marisotter by using. American two row and some kind of combination of mm-hmm. English caramel malt and something else. You know, you just you can't do it. The, the base malt has its own character, right? And right. I, and uh, and that character in much of the world, the base malt character is yeah. what defines these styles. You got to so, go to the source. Yeah, but you can get Czech malt. Yeah, in the U.S. There's the that I've I had the great fortune. Max Bonson took me to the Ferdinand Brewery to see the the floor malting at at. Uh, that's Ferdinand, uh-huh. and David Marsh spoke no English, and so <laughs> it was really great for Max to be able to translate for me. And he sells his uh, his floor malts to Weirman, and they are the Bohemian, the Czech floor malt that you can buy. So if you see that product, it's like Bohemian floor malt, or I'm, I'm not sure what they call it. It's the Weirman product. Right. It comes from Ferdinand, and it, it is uh, 100. It's floor malt. I saw it. I, I saw it you, there. Yeah. So it's the real deal. It's so the real there deal. is a way that you can actually get. Uh, Czech malt and then 
you know. Yeah, and I think you should try to decoct it. And there, yeah. are, you know, you can look online and find ways if you're if you're trying to make that at home. Um, if you're if you're a, uh, a larger brewery, um, I suppose you could try to to do an extra long boil to build melanoidins if you don't have a way to decoct it. But um, but definitely start with that malt. That malt is important to get the character. All right, next winter, Jeff. Our our pilsner this year, we had a little bit of a. It was our lowest point yet. It was uh, <laughs> we <laughs> we had a bit of a failure to launch. Yeah, uh, it didn't. The uh, the yeast decided to just take a little vacation for about a week when we pitched. Yeah, <laughs> and then they finally took off. It's not the best beer. No, it's uh, not infected, but it it doesn't have the liveliness yeah. palate you'd like it to have. And often it's one of one of our better. Yeah, our pilsner tends to turn out really well, so it's too bad. But okay. next year now I, I'm inspired. Yeah, we get some Czech malt. We do some de- decoction. Yeah, I want to try some decoction. Uh, we um, uh, also got the question: Are there any beers made locally that taste like Czech beers? And I think again, the answer is not exactly there. And there are some beers out there that are, that are uh, brewed pretty well, and, and uh, some breweries do decoction. Uh, and you may know of a local brewery that that does well. And if and if you've been to the Czech Republic or know somebody, you can try those beers and see if they taste good. But I think mm-hmm. basically it's, I can't just say, oh yeah, uh, Lagunitas's pills is a really good example. I, there's there's none that I'm aware of on a big scale. So mm-hmm. you just have to go to check. That's the thing. Yep. And it could be worse. That's the worst places to go. That's yeah. right. Uh, speaking of which, I saw this little article in the New York Times about a branding Czech Republic as Chechia. Yeah. So, so maybe by the time you get there, you'll be in Chechia. I'm against Chechia. <laughs> That's a terrible name. <laughs> Czech Republic's fine. I don't, yeah, I don't even remember why 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 it was important. But uh, okay, uh, so that thus ends the the mailbag, um, and now we get to the uh, the beer sherpa. Yeah. So uh, you have a beer sherpa recommendation this week. I'm going to recommend now that I've encouraged you, exhorted you, begged you, and demanded that you go to the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get there, okay. <laughs> uh, you're going to try a beer that you can't get outside of Prague, I don't think. Um, it's brewed a little bit outside of Prague, and it's now more common in, in, in Prague. It's called Junjetitia, something like that. It's uh, really hard to pronounce. Yeah, let me see how you've written it, because I know my Czech really well. Junjetitia. Uh, no, I don't know. Junjetiki. Junjetiki. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a it's a kind of a new brewery. I think it's only maybe like six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And they make a ten and a twelve, mm-hmm. and they're very similar versions, the same beer. They're, they're, so they're, this is like a Czech craft beer, or yeah, it's sort of like a craft beer, but uh-huh. it's it's made in a really traditional style. Okay. So I would say um, there are there are now craft breweries who make IPAs and oh. imperial lagers. Yeah, but I mean it's a new small a new small brewery. Yeah, it is new and small, uh-huh. um, but they're making just two traditional uh, Svetlis, uh, or at least they were as recently as 2014. They might have made something more recent, something. More recently, but um, the ten is one of the best beers I've ever had in my life. It has, Ooh. it is a rustic style that's it's unfiltered. So mm-hmm. this is kind of new to Czech Republic. Ever since these other styles of wheat yeast beer and tankova and all these things, people have kind of gotten into like like Oregonians have a little haze as suggests non-industrial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and theirs has some a little haze, and it is. Um, the, it's just the quality of all these elements we've been talking about. The malts are incredibly distinctive and warm and bready, and then the the, the hops are lightly sprinkled on top, and it's super crisp. And I could have just drank ten pints right in a row, and mm-hmm. it was an amazing beer. It was of all. It's my favorite Czech lager. So and this is in Prague. Yep, in Prague. Okay, so get yourself to Prague, 
and have the Unititia 10. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think it's Unititia. All right. Well, I'm sort of punting on my beer uh, Sherpa recommendation, but actually, um, and I've already mentioned this in the pod, so it's a little bad, but uh, my goal was to get people to try Pilsner Quell, which I think yeah, lots, lots, of, lots of craft beer enthusiasts uh, have never thought about it because it tends to sit in the part of the beer cooler where you know other macro lagers are, and it's just not that at all. It's no, a, it's a really good beer. You should try and, it and appreciate it. And you should drink it like we did. You pour out a drink, you pour out a glass. You don't you don't drink it slowly like you would an IPA. Mm-hmm. You drink that thing like like you want to drink that thing. I mean these th- these beers are Czechs drink these things. Yeah, they'll go through a half liter in uh, you know. 15 minutes so don't don't yeah. sit on it and pay attention to the malt on the nose pay attention to the mouthfeel pay tip pay attention to the the malt uh, flavor balance with the hops um it's a really exceptional beer actually so yeah. so that's my that's my beer ship recommendation go and go and give it another try if you haven't tried it in a while and uh if you've not tried it definitely go go find some yeah and it's and it's also great apropos of going to prague to understand how weird it is when you get to Prague. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's so unlike the others. So. Then when you go to Czech Republic, you realize that you haven't really tasted a typical Czech beer at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that should do it uh, for yet another edition of the Beer Vonda podcast. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the listeners, um, and we appreciate those who, who write in and ask questions and give us comments. Um, we should now, if not now, very soon be on Google Play, speaking of people who write Ooh, in. Ooh, yeah. Uh, good. I didn't even really sort of know very that Google Play existed for podcasts, but uh, uh, that was Hivemind did, and Hivemind told us. Hivemind told us we should be on Google Play, and so we are. We should be. We've been approved. Apparently, it's just about getting up. So go go check Google Play if that's your preferred source. We yep. should we should be there. So that means Android phones, right? Uh, I think that means yeah, Android phones. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you should never ask a question that you yourself don't know the answer to especially if the other person you don't know yeah that was a uh yeah my my condition for getting us on google play was that the the the, the, the recommender had to tell me exactly how to do it um, which he did it was just one one link and clicked on it and there you are yeah bob's your uncle okay All so right. we're on there uh how to get in touch uh you can read Jeff, of course, at his blog, um, Beervana, and at All About Beer magazine. Uh, Jeff tweets at, at Beervana, and you can be in touch with him and therefore us in two ways. Um, there's the Beervana blog, blog Facebook page, and uh, Jeff's email is um, the underscore beeraxe at yahoo.com. And Patrick can be found tweeting at Beeronomics and blogging at Beeronomics, um, and so look for him there. All right. Uh, as we go out, I'm going to grab a beer. I'm losing track, but I'm pretty sure this one is the Urquell. I believe that's correct. I, I have the boudoir. All right. So uh, how do you say cheers in, uh, in Czech? Nazdravi. Nazdravi. Nazdravi, Jeff. Nazdravi. Nazdravi. <laughs>